This law is not dead. People think it's dead. And the reason they think it's dead is because it's not being talked about anymore. And why is it not being talked about anymore? Because people are ashamed to talk about it. If you talk about the fairies today, of course, the very word fairy has changed its name and meaning. You know, if you talk about the fairies today, you get no, no, wink, wink, ha, ha, ha. The old people used to call them the fairies, eh? Now, what kind of stories do you like, then? A scary one! Scary! No, it will be a Halloween story. Go on. But can Green. you can you listen now? I I I tell you one that I know from my own place. I come from a place called Brosna in Kerry. Now the old people used to call them many music, sideways names like them. The boys, good the other crowd, and the, the lads. But Ushle, the good people, and all these sideways the names, why? In those days, very few people had a radio, so when the death nights came around because Halloween... Because they knew very well that to confront these people that you can confront because you're at a complete disadvantage. If you can see them, you're lucky. They'll be only seen when they want to be seen, but they can see you. What chance of you against somebody you can't see? And of course, the fellow today who has the rational explanation for everybody, everybody, everything will say, oh, well, sure, if you can't see them, they're not there. But Lord God, who helped you? When each dat should like a bag of cats being kicked down the street, you know. Now, and like a lot of people who's useless at something, he didn't know it. He thought he was great. And... House after house, he'd go in, take out the fiddle and bow out of the bag and start, and immediately, oh, God, I'll oh, you, will you shut up? You give us a pair of no teeth? And sooner or later, he'd be dumped out. Oh, go, go. Now, this had been happening for a long, long time. Well, and I always maintain that that's a dangerous argument to use, just because a thing can't be seen or heard or smelt or touched. The bag with a fiddle and bow inside in it, under his oxter. Uh, and it was even beginning to dawn on him now that, oh, my God, maybe, maybe they don't like me. We, we think we have come to grips with everything that's to become, but to be sorted out in the world. The field, have we sorted out anything? He can go by the road, because if he went by the road, it'd be a lot longer. He was walking, remember. There were no cars for poor people that time, and he walked through the fields. Now, it was dark. It was a damp, old, miserable, cold night. And, and he felt miserable, remember, because he had been dumped out of the house again. But on his way home, he had to pass this fairy fort. And there is no, the funny thing. Very often, I have been in those places. I have seen places, been shown where certain things happened. Because, remember, I do check these things out. I go to the place afterwards, I check them up. It's the only way you can do business, because otherwise people say to me, and constantly, it said to me twice alone today, uh, you know, the fairies, oh, just they're coming. You know, people blackguarding because, you know, people know at this stage that I, I, I'm interested in fairy stories and I tell a lot of these. But you see, if you turn around and say to them, be careful, be careful, you're, you're messing with something here you don't understand, either they'll give you the two fingers, most of them don't know in fairness, or they'll say, you don't really believe in that stuff. And I have found out by experience there's no point in prevaricating about this kind of thing. You have to either come out and say, I don't, or else I do. And I do. And that's what saved the fairy bush there at that time. 
not me telling about it because that's oh, come on. Yes. Do you think the NRA are worried about the fairies? Let's say you're not taking your medication or some bloody thing. But at least I was able to point out, lads, look, I have the proof here. I have a tape of a man who told me the stories about this. I'm not making it up. Have a listen to this. In fairness now, I'll have to give them. They did listen. And the bush survived and they built the road slightly around it. It didn't cost anything extra. Just a little bit of more careful planning. And Tara... I tell you this, look, see that? Put your hand on that book there. Yes, yes? I wrote that novel in 1993. And what do you think it's about? All about the building of a new highway near Tara and the mis- misfortune that followed. And there was that, 1993, or 14 years ago, and here it is, has come to pass today. And believe you me, if that highway, the M3, is built, there will be trouble. I don't mean trouble from the EEC or from the powers that be. I mean a different kind of trouble. And the reason I know that is because I have experienced on a couple of occasions what I couldn't put a a, a practical explanation on or a scientific or a mathematical or a practical explanation from everyday life. I remember, for example, when I was teaching in Limerick, I used to go up and down that road there every single day before the new bypass and all was built. But there was a particular place. I remember one morning, very vividly, I was going on as usual, just before you come to Bunratty and get into the, the dual carriage where you're passing Shannon Cross and that area there. And it was a single lane road that time. Now, any which way should we go, like? No, let Go up the, the, the main, main road, yeah. No, just the main road here, and you can pull in to the side. I see. No, you could have oh, yeah, yeah. Sorry, we should be on that road. Fuck it, we can't be on No, we can. I was thinking in terms of the... Of the... All right, yeah, if we yeah, had gone out Yeah, if we were out in that, you could just pull in there. There's a kind of no problem at all. No, let's see. We can get on. How we get on to that? The only thing is, if we go on to... What we'll do is we'll go down towards... Over here. We need to come down from this side, wouldn't we? We would. Do you know we have to go up to Bearford? Up there? No. Hold on a minute, we might be able to do something oh, else. Way. No. Um, let's see now, because right. what we need to do is just... I have cars behind me now, right. so... Yeah. I'll go around the roundabout. Do. Just, just give us a moment to think. What? If you... Can we go down that slip road there, towards Ennis? We can, yeah. Well, that's the one we'll do. Yeah, OK. That'll get us to it. Yeah, well, that's the one we came back, you say. That's the one we're on. No, but that one there, that the car over there went down. Yeah, the Galway one. Down, yeah. Go down there. We can, but we can't. <laughs> huh? There's no getting off. Yeah, yeah but there's the bush in front of us, so we can... I know. So the bush is... Where is the bush? The no, bush is back here. We have to go to Bearford. <laughs> I hope we're getting mileage for this. <laughs> yeah, because when we can weekend down this one, yeah, to down the other road. Yeah, I know, so not to worry. This was my office until recently. We, we, we were we were getting in uh, PVC windows, so everything had to come out. That's why the my, my folklore section is there. The, the tapes, all these drawers are full of them. They're here. There's there's videos. There's there's uh, uh, you know, there's boxes of them. Uh, but it's, you know it's just fantastic because otherwise 
otherwise it is it is enjoyment for me but otherwise this stuff would be gone because once they die you have all your life to be to be uh, regretting it yeah. but there's nothing you can do about it so you know, I, but here now there's a lot of older stuff there that have you know from the 70s and a lot of those people that kind of stuff you couldn't get now because that generation is gone and I don't care what anybody says the material is definitely wearing out you know what that is that was the working fish oaks that bag was, was found hanging off of a tree on the boundary of a man's land and he, he didn't give a shit he gave it to me nine hazel sticks pointed at each end you know, now when I brought that here, when your man gave it to me, Mary wouldn't have it in the house. No way. She was right on the farm. She knew about these bloody things. No way. That bad news. So I took it in Tennis to the Franciscans because there was a priest there at that time who was very good. You know, he, he wasn't the kind of man that would laugh at any of this at all. And he blessed it, just as I said, to take the badness out of it so that I could keep it because there's an inter uh, the, the crowd above in, 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 in not in Lochan House, but in, in what you call the house in Castle Bar, the country. Yeah, music. They should have it, really. Yeah. For Pishog bag jizz, I mean that's the thing you don't see every day. But um but he said to me, that Franciscan, he said, If you think Pishogs are gone out of the world, he said, You're mighty mistaken. He said, There isn't a week in the year that somebody doesn't come into me about Pishogs yet. So you know, like I was saying before, these things don't go away. And what did what did they mean, the nine sticks? Do you know what it means? Oh, to bring you bad luck. Just that, to take yeah. your luck. Uh, and of course the element of fright if you see that hanging off of a bloody tree on your boundary wall this was hanging off of a branch of a tree in over on the boundary an ash tree but hanging off of the branch on this man's land you can imagine the the it was a warning as well of course <laughs> we were whoever was doing it i don't know but as it happened your man didn't give a feck he just said look you might be interested in this but another person that had driven to the mental home I would say to people, be careful. Do you, do you think that, do you know the word fairy is a co has a picture to it? Of course it has. And, and you don't really mean that picture? No, not at all. Any person that I see using the word F-A-E-R-Y, yeah. that person knows little about the Irish fairies anyway. That's, that's, I constantly try to stress that point that, you know, this Walt Disney version, the Tooth Fairy and all the rest of it, all this little sparkly wings brigade, you know, and the magic wand and all, not like that at all. I think the most frightening thing I heard, and trust from a professional folklorist I heard it, and I'd say it could be the UC, uh, UCD archives, somebody who did something, some study on their holdings on the fairies, and they have a big archive, one of the best in Europe. And then they came to the conclusion that about, I won't quote exact figures because I don't have them in front of me, but about 60% of all the fairy stories that, that have been collected in Ireland have the fairies exactly like us. They play games, they play music, they dance, they go about their business just like us. And they're the same size as us. Now, that's frightening. Because if the fairies were the little people, the wee people, or whatever you want to call them, huh, everybody would recognise them. But if they were the same size as you, the person sitting beside you might be one of them, and you wouldn't know it. So, I mean, that would give a person a second thought, if they thought about it at all, which most Irish people don't. I find that there's more interest in America, England, France, Denmark, Sweden, Finland, any of these countries I've been to, rather than in Ireland, about our culture. How many tapes have you altogether? Oh, they run into the thousands. Run into the thousands. And, of course, uh, videos as well. 
and my problem is what will I do with them? Oh. And probably what I'll do with them is I'll donate them to an American university because they'll value them. I mean, they were mighty men to tell a story or to, to recount the law. And that man there, he was only a security guard, but by God, I t there's three or four books in what he told me. He was a man who could. And I pulled out that tape, look, just to show you because I thought you might be interested. I mean, when you look at just what's... And I don't have this done with all the tapes. Jeez, there's, there's three or four or five years' work just cataloguing them alone because I tape them and I just, you know, tape them, get them down anywhere before the people die. But, I mean, here you have, um, you have a story about Anthony Colpoise at Bunratty. Now, Anthony Colpoise was there at the time of Renusini back in 16-whatever, and how he'd straighten out the widow's son. This widow below near Bunratty Castle was having terrible trouble with this bloody son. He was a lug. He was an ignorant, stupid idiot, and gone under the drink. And Anthony Colpoise, who I think, according to Mick, was either a steward of the castle or, a, or you know, he was an official anywhere around there at that time with a name like Colpoise. Uh, you could guess that he was he wasn't native Irish anywhere. And Colpoise, the 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 widow, she was a widow woman. I suppose otherwise the father would have straightened out the son, but uh, out of desperation she finally went to Anthony Colpoise, nor could he do anything at all. And he said, No problem, ma'am, I'll straighten him out for you. Sent him down to me in the morning. And she did. And he did straighten him out. How? He hanged him. Hanged him there at Bunratty Castle, and he says, "No, it'll be straightened out for you." <laughs> so, you know, but I mean, a man like that could go back and back. I mean, Dan O'Connell and uh, the Night of the Big Wind—they were only recent things. This man could go back two hundred years beyond that again. And one thing about him: if he told you something, it was accurate. You could check it out, and by God, you know, he, he wouldn't be far wrong. And as I say, I've only met about four or five people of that type in all of my travels, in all of my collecting. But when you do meet them, you know, it is like you're, you, this is gold. As you're bringing it home in the evening, you know that once this person is gone... Can I give you a brief yeah, rundown just of, yeah. of what I have? Uh, Banshee crying for, for, uh, for a man in daylight. The names the Banshee follows, and not only the O's and the Max. Beware of the Lots and the Gairns. Spies. <laughs> and the banshee crying uh, in Manhattan and that's an unusual one because normally the fairies weren't able to cross running water and she's one of them, banshee but uh, he tells the story here of Anthony Colpoise and how he straightened out the, 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 the widow's son um, Ross Manor house and how the salt salt I suppose one a land agent there how he executed his own daughter uh, there's about, all about Ross Manor house here Look, we'll just, because uh, I don't know. Just put it on anyway. Well, exactly. No. I want to just... There's a bit here. Uh, if I could find a bit about a haunted place, you know, that had a story as such. Because... Uh, Come with me. Go to the gate there. And I could hear the banshee. And you might hear it all. Or maybe you might hear it all and I wouldn't hear it. And how do you account for that? How is that? Different temperament. Different people. Or 
could it have anything to do with pardon? the man she's on? Wish like not no. to be that. Pardon under a certain star at a certain time of the night. Does that have an influence, do you think? It does. It does. And it's have an influence. The moon has that to do with it. the dogs and they're crying oh, yeah. when the moon is full. Well, they know something. Let me check that now. What is the man? I throw both up. Please do. The family were, were in the house. There was he had sisters and he had a brother up the country somewhere. Two Cod brothers. To go, I oh yeah, yeah. And uh, the families were kind of worn out, you know, no, no young, young family coming up, but they were um, refused to be well people that the bad she followed before they died. So we walked away. Up near the house, as I say, and got to the orchard, big high walls, and into the back of the dwelling house. I told him out in the day that I'd be in the vicinity during the night, myself and the brother. And he said, oh, Okay, that's okay. He said, That's okay. He said, I, I know you're there. He said, and I was getting on good with him anyway. He knew me, and I knew him. And I thought we were there long for most of a week, and uh, this night, ah, uh, so we about, I suppose, two o'clock in the morning, we were contemplating going home, tired out, I got it, at heart I heard the crying away down in the estate, and, uh, Before we moved to come home, myself and the brother, a few minutes, ten minutes, the crane came nearer. So, louder. That's how we knew it was nearer. It got louder, more distinct. And we decided that we wouldn't move until, well, things settled down. So we stayed put. And faith, the crane passed out within, I'd say, 30 or 40 yards of us. Was it loud? Oh, it was very loud and clear at that stage. But, uh, there was two of us in it, of course, and there were two young men and good hardy lads. It didn't frighten us that much. Hmm. We waited until it had moved on, and... We bundled out for kids to say as we came away, but we came home and uh, when we came home and put on the light, of course there was only the light of a lamp that time, there was no electricity that time now. That's the time we got frightened. But uh, we went away to bed and he went for it. But, but we never forgot it really.
us, we thought we did what was pure fatigue, we slipped, and uh, so in order to meet our commitments, sure we had to go down again, the following night, earlier in the night, around midnight, I learned since that uh, the banshee scarcely operates after midnight. Yeah, yeah. She's up to 12 o'clock, 1 o'clock. I didn't know that. Uh, after that, she's not a bad sheep, probably, and she can cross the stream. Huh. But, uh, the, 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 the stream had ran down at the back of this house, and feared she didn't cross it. She came directly down. In line of the stream, Patty. This was the second night now? The second night, and the first night too. Why oh. got she came closer? And how did you know it was she? Well, the banshee's always referred to as being female. Oh, yeah. And did it sound like a woman, it did? It did. It was, it was female voice, actually. Mm. But it, it, it had a funny. Or intonation, it was we using that word out of context. No. It went like this. It wasn't a continuous at all, it went spasms like that. It was very sweet. It was, it was woman's voice. And as if that. He was being thrown back or something like that, you know. It was motion bottoms like that. So I... We studied ourselves the second night. We weren't as frightened the second night as we were the first night. We were a little more experienced. <coughs> and uh, the banshee came by the, via the front door, the hall door. Without a doubt in the world, it came past that hall door. No. I got we We didn't run home that night. It was too early. We held on. And the banshee continued on. On her journey. Out the main gate of the estate. We, we went in, and that, that's exactly what she went. But she was one day bold, like to stay. Which? One day bold to stay. The man? He. Oh, sure. Did you study your drone, like? Oh, it is. Oh, it is. She's surprised. It wasn't too bravado at all, but there was a shoe-pounded <laughs> steak. And we didn't want him maybe to get up in the morning. He was an early riser. He was, a, he was a, although he was an elderly man. In his late 70s. But he was out, cocko. He's an army man, and he had all his horses and stock seen to at that hour of the morning, like. He'd be there sticking his nose in for the workman to, to see how the workman coming. Was the horse all right, and mm. that was his, that was his life. But, I cannot, we had a discussion anyway, myself and the brother, about this bad sheeting. And the conclusion we came to was this. Was he going to die? I had a chat at him during the day and he didn't show any signs of <laughs> going to pass away either. 
But if he didn't, but um, about four or five days elapsed, and he arrived out to us, and he all spruced up, and he said uh, that he was going to his brother's funeral. That he had died. It wasn't died. He said he had but expired. <laughs> And you know, I always remember that. And you know, he wasn't one bit perturbed as he did in the family. You know, there were, there were a hand race of people. Mm -hmm. And of course, he was ex army, military man. And uh, he regarded it in the family as being a kind of a natural. Sure. But do you think he had uh, had the banshee? No. No? And did you mention it to him? No, but uh, as a later date, I did. And was he surprised? No, he wasn't, but he knew of it. <coughs> Four or five months after, like, and he was a very conversable man when you meet him in his early everyday life. I was intended to ask him, you see. So I said to him, uh, to know, had there any like that in the family, like this, when one might be going to die, or when one of them might get sick, and oh, yeah, 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 and he thought of himself for a long time, yeah, he said, why did you pose me the question, he said, well, I said, I'll tell you this vote, now I said, why I pose you the question? I heard something, I said, what I reckon was the banshee? Oh, I said, yes, he said, yeah, yeah. He said, that was before my brother died, he said. The banshee follows our family, he said. Why had the brother died? Was it local? Oh, no, no, no. The brother had died abroad somewhere, I think. And uh, he said, she always follows our, our side of the family. And was that their native place? Home, like? It wasn't. Oh. It wasn't. Because you'd often hear of her coming to the home place. No, that wasn't their native. Which was his. Yeah. Um, I think myself, this um, banshee was in that place anyway. Yes, that could very well have I think she belonged, the banshee belonged to there, <laughs> more so than they did. Well, of course, there'll have been another Irish family there before then. And it could be that. No. These people surely be to God deserve more than just a stone in a graveyard. A voice is, it makes all the difference to be able to hear a voice again. And when I can sometimes play back now the stuff I taped back in the 70s, uh, you couldn't get that stuff today. It's just, you know, gone out of the world. It's changed completely. Uh, the storytellers themselves were never very, very um, uh, plentiful. And I know that from talking to the old people who have a great memory for recollection. I was talking to one of them now there during this past week. And he could barely remember people being gathered in in a little mud cabin, not so far from here, uh, at night. And music they'd be, yes. Dancing they'd be, yes. But stories were even dying out that time. And that would be two and a half generations ago. The stories were dying away. Uh, he put it down to look the younger people that hadn't the patience to be listening to the long stories. And you see, the long stories were there then. I mean, 
The longest story I know would be about an hour and a half. That wouldn't be accounted long by some of the old Irish-speaking storytellers. But where will you get somebody to listen to a story an hour and a half long today? And uh, when you're collecting these kind of stories, you just take people as you find them. Some people are witty, some are humorous, some are well-read, but have translated their reading into a, a, a part of the lore they grew up in. That's why Guy Clark, because it tells a story. You know when Guy Clark, for example, talks about the first train, the diesel electric that came through Texas in 1948 and all the guys out, you know, waiting at the depot because they were expecting, you know, that this is one of the older trains bringing back the soldiers from the war, he says, or collecting the mail and suddenly they see this silver and red streamliner coming right through and it never even stopped. And he says everything changed. Will you talk about the fairies or the little people? Have you ever seen anyone? When I say to see them face to face, I can't say whether I have or not. Uh, the one incident that I'm very sure of, like I was saying to you yesterday, uh, about the black dog, I can't explain that. Because, as I said to you, I hadn't heard about the fort that had been demolished when I, heard, when, when I saw that thing. It was only afterwards. But I'll tell you, recently... I want to put some coal in the fire. There's a lot when they can get you lost where you grew up. Exactly. It says something. Yeah. It doesn't look much there now below on the hollow, but it's fair. Pull, pull. I'll along to here because you won't get a chance once you pass the overpass. So I can pull up to the pads, I suppose. You don't need to because uh, you're lawful here, yeah? Well, I've got inside the yellow line at least. This is kind of a hard shoulder. It is a hard shoulder, yeah. But it's okay exactly opposite, yeah. opposite the bush. Oh, it is. We just walk up to the verge here, looking, and, and we'll be able to go over the island. Once you go down here, where the, the dual carriageway used to start, below there, before they built this road. Yeah. I'm sure I was travelling twice this way to work below Limerick every morning, but I remember one morning I was going down. Uh, we were about two, two miles from here. And just before, you couldn't really go fast on this road then, because remember, it was a single carriageway. Yeah, of course, yeah. And then just before you go into the dual carriageway below, which passes on by Bunratty and all, I, I'm driving on, whatever look I get to my left in a big field, which is still there. I saw the black dog. And I looked again, you know, in the middle of the field. Grass was shot at the time. I looked again, blink of an eye, no dog. And yes, I said that very odd. Now, if he had been at the side of the field, near the ditch, fair enough, you know, a dog would go into a bush and find he might be gone. But anyway, I had to keep going, because I was in traffic. But when I got down to school, below Limerick at the time, where, where I was teaching, I, I said it to one of the lads at 11 o'clock break, what I had seen. Gosh. They gave the natural response, yes, as you were seeing things <laughs> before we were drinking last night. But, Fred, it was only several months later that I was talking to 
the same old man who told me all the information about this place, who's dead now. But he said to me, uh, we were talking about apropos of nothing, and I hadn't mentioned this at all, I had, I had forgotten about it. But we were talking about a fault that was right in that field. I didn't even know there was a, fee, a fort there in that field because you can't see it now. It was bulldozed back in the 50s. And that was where the black dog used to appear. He told me that a huge dog, monster of a thing entirely, he'd be standing there or, or lying there with the paws out at the mouth of the fort, just watching people travelling by at night. And I bet nobody investigated me either. He was a monster, as your man said, as big as a donkey, pitch black. And the stories of him going back over 70 years. I mean, ordinary dogs don't live 70 years. People knew about that fella. And that was the very field where I saw the fella. Now, if I had if I'd heard that story beforehand, I'd say, fair enough, you know, your, your mind associates things. But I didn't. It was afterwards that Mick O'Dwyer told me the story about the black dog being seen right there, and that's where the fort was. And I looked afterwards. Yeah, you can see the outline of the fort still, you know, vaguely on the ground when you have the grass shot. It doesn't look much to look at that today. This gach here, a lone white thorn bush. And when I was passing down here in 1999 and I saw them starting to dig here, the road was over there then. And, and uh, I stopped and I asked one of the people with the hats, uh, a woman, an engineer, she was the woman in charge, very nice woman indeed, and I asked her, what are you going to do uh, here? Oh, she said, this is where the new bypass is coming through. So I said to her, it was above there, I said, what are you going to do with the bush? And she said, what bush? And she knew nothing about it because she, uh, these things don't come up on ordnance survey maps, whereas forts and earthworks and built works do. But a bush won't, unless it's very, 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 very famous. And mostly they won't simply because if a bush like this rots away, well, there's no proof that it was ever there except in the stories. But I asked her, anyway, what are you going to do about the bush? She didn't know. Uh, no, in fairness, she was a, you know, a decent woman. She, she, uh, uh, she said, look, I'll inquire. I, I said, I'll in, I, I know about it. And I told her. So she went away and talked to the powers that be, but that didn't do. The road was still going through here, and that was that. And uh, that's when it went to radio then. And CNN came, ABC came, BBC, Belgian television came. You know, that would look terrible stupid eventually if they had demolished it. But you see, the problem here is... I see it constantly. The difference between folklore and history and people who think that history, because it deals with paper and documents, that is proof. I always say to those people, hold on a minute, documents were written by certain people for a certain purpose, the, uh, very often to steal land or to prove something that wasn't true at all. And you'll often get them signed, sealed and delivered. What's that proof? Nothing. Nothing. No more than a story told. The, the, the story told was the poor man's document. But, you see, very often local historians and that won't believe that. No, 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 just because it's written down, it's true. Or at least it's more true than word of mouth. That does not follow at all. The story I was told by your man over there, which saved the bush, and if I hadn't had that story on tape, they would have said that I was making it up, just for my own purposes. But he told me that this bush was special above all of the other lone bushes because this is the one that was the staging point for the fairies of Munster when they'd be going off to fight the fairies of Connacht, northwards there. And he said that, that the man who told it to me was a cattle drover. He was just living over there. He did since God rest the man too. But he said that on several occasions he had to come into this field, which isn't a field now because the roads have divided it up. This was Lynch's Crag. 
And not always, no, only on a few occasions he saw around this bush, within maybe 10 or 20 yards radius around it, he saw this stuff, like liver, he said, lumps of it, greenish. And immediately he'd know the fairies had been fighting the night before because, you see, as he said, uh, he had been told this by his people anyway, and there are still some of the people around here who know that, even though that's their business. But he said that, you see, when they come back from fighting their battle against the fairies of Connacht, They'd be dragging their dead and wounded with them. This was their staging point again. They had to come back here to see who had been lost on that night because the fairies can kill each other. We can't kill them, but they can kill each other and wound each other. And they'd come here, and when the the, the officer in charge, we'll say, we call him, who was in charge that night anyway for that battle, he'd wait here, and so would they, until they had all come back, the ones that were coming back. And when they could see them that there was no one else coming, this was their contingent after their night's battles. Let's gather from here out into the various forts of Munster again from where they had come for the battle that night. So this must have been a very important site, and I know it was. This corner here, there is something there is something most interesting to be written about this. The fairy bush was only one part of it. Down from there, you see that direction over towards the clearing, that's where the dead hunt used to come from. From from Quinn down across here and off down towards the river. Now I doubt if they were going across the river. Where were they going? Because the, the, the boys can't cross running water, and the Shannon, surely be to God, is running water, flowing water. So were they coming towards this, the dead hunt? And that is one of the real stories. Not jo- And again, luckily enough, I have the thing on tape. And, of course, you know, you'll say, I met a man who met them one night. What's the dead hunt? Frightened the living life out of him. He was coming from playing cards. Sober man, never drank in his life. But he, he saw them. He saw the, 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 the crowd galloping across the countryside at a ridiculous hour of the night when there'd be nobody and when they got close he stopped he, yes, he was stuck to the ground he says and then he recognised mixed in with some of the people that he didn't recognise at all fellas that he recognised were dead a couple of them some of the old gentry from here and from Quinn Ballykilty Bally man on that and they were coming from the direction of Ballykilty but there were other people a couple of people that he realised as his own neighbours with them as well he said it frightened him Oh, yes, galloping across the countryside, silently, silently. But he saw them as clearly as I'm looking at you there now. Interesting and frightening. So there is something about this particular place, and I'm, I'm glad because of that that the, the road people, the NRA, left it be. Because if they had bulldozed that, I think you'd have some terrible accidents around here. Look at all the space there. Look at all the space here. Look at this. Look around us. They could have a car park here and a picnic area and a real fairy bush. As I often say to people, if that was in Kerry, you'd have about ten jobs depending on that now. They'd have it. They'd have Clare. Clare Clare are very primitive when it comes to their tourism assets. Now, they are. They're way behind. They don't use them properly because the best way of making sure that that bush remains safe is have people around it. Have people, you know, and look at, look at the space they have. And with the fairies' mind, did he? Once you do not, I always say to people, look, and they do ask me after I tell them stories about forts and that, especially children, and you, you always should answer children sincerely, not mock them, not be patronising, because they can tell when you're patronising them. I would say, go into a fairy fort, photograph it, walk around, look around, do what you have to do, but bring nothing out of it, leave it as you found it. And so the very same with that. If you ask me now, and I mean it, if you asked me to bring a few of those haws with me in my pocket, I wouldn't. I wouldn't. And you can call me every kind of an idiot for saying that, but I would not bring anything away from that bush. Leave it be. 
because I knew the man that told me what he saw around here and he was a sincere man uh, a man that like I said walked every road herding cattle uh, or droving cattle not afraid of the dark but he had great respect for that place it doesn't look much to look at there today and I suppose a lot, lot of the people in their cars passing by there in the background uh, they'd say just another bush but it isn't and there are so many places like that around this country once you know the story I could tell you a story about a place back near Milton Malbay and you'd think if you were looking there was nothing there but a drain Christ I tell you if you heard the story behind it you wouldn't be inclined to pass it on your own at night after that Wait, another time another time if you're interested